Welcome to Equinox, where Rob and I are striking the balance between the light and the dark. This is episode 50. 50! My name is Joseph Darnell. That is Rob Carter. Hello, Rob. How are you doing? Hey, Jill. I was just so excited to hear that number. Yes, it's a huge milestone. We just celebrated our anniversary a couple of weeks ago, and now we've turned 50. Mm-hmm. What was that? Diamond anniversary? What's, what's 50? Actually, the podcast is much older than we are. The podcast is older than we are? It will in podcast years. Okay. Kind of weird way to think about it. All right. I'll take 50. That's very exciting. I can't believe we've done this 50 times. I have gotten to spend so much time with you over this last year, Joe, and it's been really enjoyable. Well, it's like the last thing you would have expected because during the pandemic time, how would you get to know somebody better unless you were podcasting? Yes. Like it's not going to happen. Yes, the whole world should have been podcasting, getting to know each other, buying the world a Coke and all that. Yes. Oh, we've been drinking so many Cokes. I don't drink Coke. Well, I, I don't usually drink Cokes, but I actually got some in the fridge right now that's like a Coca-Cola and coffee beverage that I wanted Ooh, to... yuck. <laughs> I only want to know. I don't expect it to be any good. I just want to know. All right. I want to know why. And More power to you, man. Know why I hate it. More power to you. <sighs> so all of our listeners, our dear listeners, you may have noticed that something looked a little bit different about the cover art, like it got a new haircut. Did. Now, I'm not sure why, but you with your artistic uh, bent, you're like, oh, I have to change this. I'm like, it looks good to me. So what exactly did you change, sir? Well, you know, it's been the pandemic season and everybody's let their hair grow out and look straggly. And I said Equinox needed a haircut. So I know actually I'd been planning to get this for a while. What I'm talking about is I wanted to just tweak the cover art design. We had originally a mock-up of a cover art that we kept around for maybe episode one. Uh, I didn't give it a lot of thought. Then some of our friends said it looked very familiar and similar <laughs> yes. to our workplaces. Logo. <clears throat> Had that happen. <laughs> and I honestly didn't count on that happening, but it did happen. So we changed it. And I loved the ringlets that are intertwining and gradient. And I like our formatting of the text. But I wanted to freshen it up. I've, I've wanted to freshen it up for a while now. So this is uh, the same cover art design 2.0. So this is what you get to look at for the next year. All right. Well, that's just awesome. I've been playing around with a, my new 3D printer, which someone gave to me because they didn't like it. They couldn't get it to work right. It's not what I expected. I thought 3D printers you know, had a little piece of the plastic wire that gets melted and it kind of adds and adds and adds. But this is a, a resin printer that uses a UV light to print. And so I'm not quite sure how this is going to work. And there's cleanup involved and it looks a lot more involved than the other kind of printer. But I can use it. I'm already like I woke up this morning saying I, I need to make one of those. Of course, there's a beehive part. But had I had a 3, 3D printer already ready to go, I would have already made this part that I could use. Huh. Interesting. Do you know anybody who else who's been 3D printing parts for their B boxes? Um, no, not at all. Oh man, that, that this sounds really exciting. To be honest, like I'm thinking about all the possibilities, ways to customize the thing. Oh yeah, that is neat. Yeah, B B shoots and little doors and windows and all sorts of. I, I can think of a million things. Now, if our listeners, any of our listeners, are new to the show, we're really into honeybees. Next week. Next week. <laughs> if it's above freezing anyway, if this crazy weather this week doesn't mess up all the, the guys who are getting our bees ready to be shipped, but we are all ready to go. I can't wait. Rob, you were just saying the weather's crazy. Here in North, North Georgia, Metro Atlanta area, it's supposed to drop to 29 degrees on Saturday. <laughs> That's colder That's than insane. it was in February. <laughs> no, it's not right. <laughs> this is April. This is the month of my birth. My birthday is April 14th. Oh, I'm, oh happy I'm, birthday. Thank you. I'm always prepared for surreal, unusual experiences in April because I don't feel like I was born in April. I don't feel like a spring chicken. April just doesn't feel right. That's very weird. Yeah, I, but I do love April. I was thinking about the, the bees coming in this weather. It, it doesn't compute. It's making me nervous. Do you think have like a direct impact on their development for the the queens that they're growing? Well, the, we are buying splits, our um, packaged bees. But basically, someone has raised some queens and they're counting on some colonies to produce a whole bunch of bees. 
they're going to take some of those bees, put it in a box, and put a queen in a smaller box inside the other box, and we're going to get those. So if those colonies are not cranking out a lot of little worker bees, um, I'm not sure exactly what's going to happen, but we'll see. Okay. I'm, I'm hoping they don't delay the delivery again. That would be very sad. Oh, no, 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 no. But we shall see. No more delays, please. Yes, yes. Because I'm ready, man. I got. I want bees for my birthday. Yeah, that's good. I like that bees for your birthday. I've also got my, uh, my tricked out beehive working now. I, I tried to add a microphone to it because I wanted to get the waveform of the beehive at a whole bunch of different frequencies because I know that you can do assess a lot of things about beehive health and happiness based on the sounds that they're making. By the way, this is the most interesting thing I think you're doing with your bee, your smart beehive. I'm really fascinated by this. Yes, but I had to give up on the, the sound. It maxed out the memory of my Arduino it just started crashing. Everything. Literally, a couple days ago, I had no beehive monitoring system. It was completely crashed and dead. Oh, no. And I was like, I give up. I'm going to walk away. But I couldn't walk away because I've already spoken about no. it so much in public. So everyone knows what I'm doing. So yes. I can't fail. I cannot fail. What would happen if you added another Arduino? Well, I could do that. Could you have one dedicated to the audio? Yeah, I could do that. But what I need, though, is to figure out how to get this thing broadcasting onto the internet. But that is a whole other area of expertise that I know nothing about. But I had to do this for, I had to get it working in parts. And I said, no, stop, Rob. Just stop, 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 stop. Erase your program and rebuild it one piece at a time and do it until it breaks. And sure enough, I built it, built it, built it, and it broke again. And it's the fast Fourier transform algorithm. Oh, okay. In order to take a, a signal, an audio signal, you have to break it down into different wavelengths. Huh. So it's a you know, pretty simple mathematical process. Most people learn about this in you know, the year after calculus in college, fast Fourier transforms, but the Arduino just couldn't quite handle it. If that's all I was doing, I'd be fine. But I also have, the, have an analog to digital converter and my real-time clock and my temperature and humidity sensors. Your bees need to tell the analog time? Uh, no, I do. Oh, okay. So I scrubbed that, but what I did was I added an LCD screen. Ah, <laughs> So now my little bee box, every 15 seconds, it switches between the inside temperature, humidity, and mass of the beehive, and the outside temperature and humidity, and it tells me the time, and it tells me the date. And once every half an hour, it says, saving data. And it writes all, it writes every half an hour, Inside, outside, temperature, humidity, and the mass of the beehive to a little micro SD card, which I can pop out and put in my computer and copy the data over. Sweet. And that is working and it's stable. But now it's all prototyped with wires on a, you know, a, a what you call a board where you stick the wires in the holes. <laughs> well, now I have to take that and put it all outside on my beehive. What are you going to do? I would like to have a solar panel and a little nine volt gel battery. Ooh. But for now, I'm just gonna run a power cord off my deck down two stories and out a little bit into my yard where I'm gonna put my beehive because I can't have my beehive on my back deck. Oh, that's insane. I want it there. I want it right outside my kitchen window. Oh yeah. But you can't have like a whole bunch of bees right near a door that you open and close. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, can't. not a good idea. No. So they're Hey kids, you want to run outside and play in the backyard? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, kids. Don't do that. Daddy. <laughs> exactly. That would happen too. Yeah, sure would. Now we've relocated our beehive because it was on just the other side of the fence next to our driveway. And a sane friend of mine who had previously kept a lot of bees said, you might want to move it away. A sane friend. Where'd you put? Yeah, I noticed that when you sent me the picture of it, the lovely color. I love that color you painted it. Thank you. Where'd you put it? It is, uh, it, we have uh, one fifth of the lot is fenced in, in including the corner, the left corner of the house next to the garage. Yeah. So we moved the beehive to the other end of the fenced in area, farthest from the house. So it's a good 40 feet feet or so further away you know, just right. kind of out of the way you know it's no direct line of sight it's not a direct path that anybody would take where are the holes pointing at your neighbor's house at your house because that's really the, the question because when they pop out they're gonna make a beeline from that hole yeah yeah and all the activity is gonna be in and out of those holes so that's you kind of aim that away from your living space and it could be right next to you and they're not gonna really fly into your living space if they're pointed in a different direction so my friend, he's, he's not Dr. Carter. He's actually another guy uh, from East Georgia. His name is Timothy Roberts. And 
Tim knows a thing or two about bees. He's kept thousands of them in the past. He's had several bee boxes. Cool. So he was making the recommendation because the holes are only on one side of the bee box at the beginning until they grow to the size expanse of the entire box that because they only have the holes on one side, you want them to get started as early as possible in the day based on sunlight. Ah, yes. And keep working as long as you possibly can during the day till sundown. Yep. So he recommended split the difference. If you pointed them to the east or to the west, then that means that they'd get their day started earlier or end earlier. And he said, well, just split it. He actually recommended don't point it to sunrise and don't point it to sunset, but point it south so that you split the difference and cool. the most opportunity to get any sort of indirect line of the sunlight. I don't have that option at all. My yard is completely shaded. Mm. I can't put it in my front yard. I live in a subdivision. I can't put it on my front grass. Ooh, okay. I would love to, but there's too many neighborhood kids around and they're always over my house and I'm not going to have a beehive out in the middle of a public area like that. You don't want to just put it next to the mailbox? (laughs) Get the mail, get the honey? (laughs) No. But something else I've done though, I went to Home Depot and I bought a little seed starting shelf and I already have some, some plant lights and... I got a couple of things at Home Depot that bees like, but I also ordered online some seed packets. One of them came from a little valley in the state of Oregon, not too far from where your wife lives. hey So it'll be a, a plant that she's probably familiar with, and apparently bees love it. So I've got four or five things. One of them is a money plant, which I remember as a kid growing up. Money plant. Yeah, it, it, it forms these flat translucent papery things about the size of a silver dollar. So is it like bark or is it leaves? No, no. It's, it's, it's like a, a thing at the end of, of the little twiggies, like the flowers or something. Turn. I've never, I've never watched it grow. I don't know. I just remember as a kid seeing people with these money plants and seeing in some uh, artificial flower thing, mm. someone, some things, sometimes they'd have them in there. So counterfeit money does grow on trees. Yes, it does. And bees apparently really like this plant. So I got that and some alyssum and some balsam and a couple other things that I've never grown before and Home Depot didn't carry it. So I ordered it and I've got them all planted. Now they're starting to sprout and I'm going to put them all around my yard. You got ahead of me. My son also wants to get into the gardening and he- Oh, really? In part wanted to do it because of the bees and he wanted to invest in the equipment and the supplies, the materials himself. Okay. And we're getting him set up here very soon. We had to explain to him why it was probably not a great idea to to grow blueberries because it takes like six or seven years for them to- Plus, yeah, you you need blueberry bees too. Um, I have some seeds for you then. Wait a minute, there are blueberry bees? Yeah, yeah, I remember. Remember the bee episode? I don't remember blueberry bees. Specific bees that live in the dirt, they come up, they pollinate the blueberries, they make babies and they die. And a year later, they pop out of the dirt again. They find some blueberries and and they're very seasonal. Blueberry bee, yes, 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 yes. Okay. Anyway, what were you saying? Well, I'm sprouting all these things and I was going to surprise you by bringing you some sprouted bee-friendly plants. Oh, okay. And I'm just going to bring you the seeds. You can sprout them yourself because I just started. And it's late in the season. They got to get going. Sure. For my birthday. And that way I don't have to give you any so I can keep them for myself. Ha ha. Something else that we were going to mention from the previous episode, we were talking about the race that my children like to race in. It is outdoors and it's a big to-do. Yeah. It's called the Savage Race and there's a good website for it. We'll have a link in the show notes if you were interested in checking it out. It's very popular. A lot of people know about it, but I would not have known about it because I'm just not that kind of person. Rob, have you been in this before? I got invited to one. Some guys at church were running it. One of the guys at church is a supreme fitness guru, and he's just built, and he's always running and doing exercise and stuff. And it, I don't know if they ever ran it, and then soon after that, COVID hit. So I haven't seen it since then. But yeah, I, w- I would definitely be willing to do one. Yeah, it looks really promising. I think that you would enjoy it, given your other athleticism. I am not an athlete, man. Oh, no, 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 no. I think I might walk said Savage Race, but <laughs> I could finish it. it. It does look like a lot of fun. Now, I, I don't mean to be a wet blanket on the event. I like taking pictures and videos of the kids while they're doing it. There's a part of it where on the kids' obstacle course in the field that they actually run through a huge vat of like soap bubbles, suds, that's like five feet deep and 
12 foot wide for a 30 foot span. Woe unto the short people. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but it's perfect because you just had them slog it through the mud and climb walls and get on their hands and knees. So they got Georgia red clay on them from head to toe. And then you come to the end of the race and you just have them run through soap bubbles like it's supposed to get them clean. Oh, that's cool. That's smart. It actually helps a little bit. It actually helps. So, Jill, last week when you went to Home Depot and you bought that awesome, I don't know what color that was. Do you know what color that was for your beehive? Oh, it's not coming to the top of my mind, no. Sorry, they all sound really pretty. It's like a golden dark yellow. I don't, I don't know what color. It's just beautiful. I love that color. But you told me that you overheard someone ordering a paint color. <laughs> it was hysterical, man. <laughs> what was the paint color? It really was funny because I had my back to them and I had already ordered my paint. I was looking at the various colored cards and, and they always have, you know, those um, creative names. Then I hear the employee talking to the customer saying something along the lines of, how many gallons of flat earth did you need? I was like, <laughs> do what now? That was a moment. I have a hard time breathing, even though it's the second time I heard that. Because I started to think, what color is earth? And oh my, he's asking for flat earth paint. That is too much. Actually, I think, even though it's not common, I think it is a normal thing. Flat, I think, just means not shiny, and earth is just kind of like a brown color. Yes. So I'm, I'm guessing that it's not like named after this paranoia conspiracy people who believe the earth is flat but that it's just a flat earth color yes but i don't know because i never heard that before and i had to google it and look it up and i think it's just a a, a basic non-shiny earth color but that is so funny <laughs> that is a flat earth color <laughs> <laughs> now i'm going to share with you i think i may have found the color okay. supposedly that's flat earth oh yeah or that's earth anyway Kind of along the lines of Georgia Clay, but prettier. I guess. What on earth would you paint? What, that's funny. What on earth would you paint that color? Who wants a dull brown? Maybe the back porch. Maybe the patio rails. So getting into the main topic, yeah, the main we're going to talk about the flat earth. In honor of our 50th episode. Yes. And this past week, April Fool's. <laughs> now, audience, <laughs> you must know that we, I was trying to think of a way to do an April Fool's episode on Flat Earth because we were going to record this episode a week ago and release it today, which would have been April Fool's. But I couldn't, I, I can't be that sarcastic and I can't be that duplicitous and I couldn't think of a way to lie my way through it. <laughs> so instead of that, we, we we're doing a, an episode on Flat Earth, but it's not why the Earth isn't flat. It's, it's how to think scientifically, mm. how people get trapped in in illogical ways of thinking, how to get yourself out of it if it's possible, and how to process information that you can't actually know personally. That's a very good point. That's a very good question. Yeah. Yeah. Because you you as a person, you cannot, Joe, you cannot prove the earth is round by yourself. No. Because what are you going to do? You're going to walk around the earth? You can't. You You can't walk around the earth, right? I know that there is a scientific approach that I can do something to test the Earth's roundness, but then that also means that I am taking the word of other people yes. on their approach and imitating their formula to get the same results. Yes, we have to trust somebody else. And that is the nature of science. Mm. You can't do science unless you trust the people who came before you. Mm. You can't reinvent everything. You can't test every chemical, every structure, every physical process. You don't know how neutrinos go through the earth or not. You don't know how a nuclear reactor works. You don't know how they make that flat earth color. <laughs> no. In fact, the people who make the flat earth color can't actually do it. All they do is take parts they buy from other people and mix them together to make a final product. There's a thought experiment someone did a long time ago, and it was he had a, a, one of those yellow pencils, right? A number two pencil. <laughs> And he realized that no one on earth can make a pencil. Well, what is the meaning of that statement? Well, think about it. Obviously, we got, fl- we got pencils. There's not a single person on earth who can mine the iron, uh-huh. smelt the iron, or whatever the, the little end is, who can manufacture 
manufacture the eraser part. Oh. Who can harvest the wood, cut the wood, split it in half, who can find the, the carbon, which is graphite, mix it with just the right amount of clay. Where do you go to find that clay anyway? I don't know, but you got to find that clay, mix it with the thing, with a binder, put it in a thing, glue the thing together, and then paint it yellow and stamp a number two on the end of it. Man, I feel really inept right now. Not, there's not a single person on earth who can do that. It takes a collective effort of probably 10,000 people in order to make a pencil. Golly never thought of it that way if you think about it right there's what seven and a half billion people on earth today and technological progress is accelerating because of it by the mere number of people that can join forces to get a job done. exactly because of the division of labor because the number of brains because we haven't had a war after a while that's burnt down half the world so information has been stored and saved we haven't lost libraries we haven't lost books. We can freely share information. Anyone in the world can find information, put it together, and all the discoveries that we're making are just finer and finer and finer scale discoveries. And if you do something where you can shave a quarter of a second off a financial transaction, you're a billionaire because of the scale of what we can do now. I mean, if we didn't have 7 billion people, we would not have iPhones. Oh, man, that's so true. But half the world is still not yet plugged into that system. Imagine what's going to happen when Africa becomes a first world continent. Oh, wow. India is almost there. China is almost there. They did it by stealing everyone else's stuff and forcing their people to collectivize. Okay, fine, but China is is a meritocracy. You rise in China based on your work output. They're not communist anymore. They're just a totalitarian dictatorship. Right. But they are progressing so quickly economically because all their people are plugged into the economic system. Okay. Well, all of that's well and good, Rob, but how does it have anything to do with the flat earth? Ah, you see, the way science, technology, information, the way progress goes, you have to stand upon the shoulders of other people. Yeah. So it's impossible for one person to arrive at all of the scientific knowledge. It is accumulative. Yeah. But you can, however, take a step back and assess each individual part if you take enough time to study. There are signals, there are clues, there are gives that people who are lying do. And they're, the tell, it's like we're playing poker. The guy's got a tell. He winks his eye every time he's got a high hand or something like that. You, know, you, you look for those things and they're easy to spot amongst people that are lying. And when you look at a conspiracy, it generally falls apart very quickly. Mm. And that's one of the very important things here. When we're talking about, you know, is the earth round or flat? If the earth is flat, we're talking about a conspiracy of every single industry, every single airline pilot, every single person who schedules anything, uh, UPS, FedEx, um, uh, NASA, you know, every world government, and there's, you can't have a conspiracy of a billion people. See, I, I wonder if people would assume that it's not necessary for airline pilots to be in on the conspiracy. Oh, yes, they just it is. have to think that they understand the science and they actually don't. And they've been tricked about how the readings work and how the math works. And they're just told a thing. Oh, no. And they uh, supposedly follow through and. That's not, how, that's not even possible? No, because the airline industry is cutthroat and their profit margins are minimal. And anytime they can find a cost-saving measure like, oh, we're only put two olives instead of three olives on the first class uh, meals, we're going to save $10 million a year. Hey, give that guy a promotion. I mean, that, that kind of stuff, which has happened. They are so intensely competitive that there's not any margin for error. And if one, if the whole industry is saying, well, the earth is, is, is really flat, but we're lying about it and we're lying about our scheduling and our fuel usage and blah, 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 blah. The one person who says, no, okay, actually, world, the world, the world really is flat and we're going to base our airline industry around a flat earth model, they would win. They would win so quickly, the, in, the entire airline industry worldwide would collapse when that one person takes over because they are applying a real world solution to an economic problem. The fact that every single airline industry in the world believes that the earth is a globe 
is proof positive that the Earth actually is a globe or would already have flipped over. I did a, um, a test. Actually, I did this with one of my kids. We went to the local library because I knew they had a big globe. And I tried to pick a, a city that flies to all different continents. And I picked Johannesburg, South Africa. And I had my, my son hold his finger on Johannesburg. And I stretched a string, literally a string on the globe, to all these different world cities. And I did not think this was going to be very accurate. And I, we measured the length of the string in centimeters on a, a school ruler. In fact, I published this on, on creation.com called Test the Flat Earth Theory. And I, I just made this table. Here's all these world cities from Johannesburg. And you know, here's the length of the string. And then in a globe model, here's how far away these cities are using the circumference of the Earth and the great circle route between these cities. I made another column. And then huh. I took a flat Earth map and I made it as big as I could make it. And I... I measured with a ruler the distance in a straight line on a flat map between Johannesburg and all these other cities. And I put that in another, another column. And when I ran the numbers, the string compared to the global earth model was an almost perfect match. I couldn't believe it. I did not expect it to be very accurate. It was almost perfect. Huh. But the string to the flat earth model was an absolute disaster. The way I calibrated it was I looked at the flight times. I, I got on Delta.com and a couple other airlines, and I said, okay, I want to buy a ticket from Johannesburg to New York, Johannesburg to Buenos Aires, Johannesburg to Beijing, Johannesburg to Moscow. And I found all the places where I could actually fly. And that told me the time. So the airline industry is saying, here's how long it takes to fly this route. And the string was telling me that those things are directly proportional to one another. And when I matched it up to the distance on a global Earth to the distance on my flat Earth map, the flat Earth map was all over the place. But the, the weird thing was, what I realized was, it depended upon the angle you were flying. If you fly due north from Johannesburg to London, the error wasn't that big a deal. But when you're flying huh. east and west, it was a huge deal because the flat Earth map distorts longitude. And the further south you go, because they had to squish the map out flat, they had to stretch the globe out to make it a flat map, the further south you go, because the flat Earth map has the North Pole as a center, the worse it got. So you would never be able to fly from South Africa to South America on a flat Earth map. And they're, they're thousands upon thousands of miles apart. But on a globe map, they're actually pretty close together. <laughs> that is wild and it reminds me of the episode we had about world maps yep. and how even with the global earth we can't quite accurately represent the earth with an ordinary map even a, a, a well-made scientifically accurate map it can't quite do it right because to flatten the world to make a two-dimensional rendering of a map, you have to distort you have something. To cheat. Yeah, you have to yeah. make a sacrifice somewhere. So do you want to distort the land area? Do you want to distort the water? Well, it depends if it's a nautical map or a land map. Do you want to distort the North Pole or the South Pole? It depends on you know, which hemisphere do you want better represented. It's curious. That's why Greenland is always so huge in the Mercator projection, but Greenland is not that big, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, it's all sorts of weird stuff that happens like that. Okay, well then, Rob, uh, Rob, I wanted you to, uh, I know this is, uh, you're down into the, the science of the thing. Real quick, wh why did you need to learn this? Why did you need to know this stuff? Um, I need to know why people think. I, need to, I want to know what people think and why they think it. This whole evolution creation debate is, it's, it's a debate on how people think. The facts are facts, and we were staring at the same information, and people coming to radically different conclusions based on the same information. How is this possible? Plus, there are, um, let's just say, some crazy creationists out there, people that don't get along well with others. That's true for evolutionists also, but I don't rent to them nearly as much. And you know, they're circulating amongst some of my friends and, and churches I visit, and I needed to know why they're doing what they're doing. In fact, some of the strategies that the flat earthers use, they parallel the strategies that we creationists use. Some of their arguments sound eerily similar, and yet they're completely bonkers and completely wrong. There's zero evidence to support their view. Mm. And so I, I needed to go through this and study this so that I could say, okay, here's why I don't go there. 
I, yeah, I use a similar argument, but I stop here. And where I stop is science versus history. I'm, I have, uh, look, we just did a year's worth of talking about science in general. I love science. I have no problem with yeah. science. Science is awesome. Where I depart from the evolutionist is when we start talking about historical events that they can't prove. I can't prove it either. I wasn't there. Not only was I not there, but science is limited. We can only extrapolate so far. And the further back in time we attempt to extrapolate, the more error we should expect. You just can't know. And it gets, it gets more and more gray the further back you go. So the flat earthers, they're not just rejecting evolutionary historical science. They're rejecting operational science. Mm. Things we can know, things we can test. And once they go there, they get into conspiracy land. And honestly, I've never seen anyone recover from that position. Maybe there's a recovered flat earther out there. That would be awesome. But if they were a Christian, I suspect they would probably reject the Christianity at this point too. Or get to the point where they say, I can't know anything. And that's, I don't, that's, that's not true. You, there are things you can absolutely know. And there are some things that you can trust and are probably right. There's some things that are fun to talk about that may or may not be right. And there's some things that you could say, no, that's not true. But there's a lot of gray areas. I mean, you look at the stars, right? I mean, how old is the right. universe? Well, it depends. Do you accept uh, the true. Big Bang? And then what happens when you discover there are structures in the universe that are larger than 13 billion light years across, which cannot form in a Big Bang universe? Oh. Big Bang can't be right. And once you say that's not right, then what are the other possibilities? They're, they're, everything opens up at that point. You could have God snapping his fingers and creating the universe. You could have God distorting time. So time depends upon where you are in the universe, all sorts of stuff like that. But see, that's a historical question, and we're free to speculate on those. When I drop something, it falls to the earth. It's called the law of gravity because it has never been contradicted. And so these laws of science are so important for us to grasp and accept because as far as anyone knows, they're true. Now, granted, God is controlling this universe. The reason these laws exist because the power of God is infusing the universe. And if he wants to change his mind, the laws of gravity can change. But they never have as far as anyone can tell in the last five or 6,000 years. Right. So the reason we trust the universe is because we trust God. That's why my universe makes sense. If I didn't have that, my universe would be chaos and craziness. I wouldn't be a flat earther, but I might be some crazy conspiracy theorist trying to do something different. Creationism is not a conspiracy theory. It's based on logic. It's based on an, a theology. And we have a reasonable belief that there's an outside force in the universe that created the universe. And that we can see it and feel it and taste it and touch it because that God who created it is a logical God. The flat earthers, they leave all that behind. They think a lot of, I mean, it did not start out in Christianity. The, the modern flat earth movement was really propelled by um, one guy who's a Buddhist and another guy who um, is anti-Trinitarian, anti-Bible, might use some theological language, but he's a complete Christian heretic. Hmm. I didn't know and that. then it bled over into Christianity, and a lot of Christians started talking about it a couple of years ago, and oh, how embarrassing. Well, I remember as early as Bugs Bunny cartoons, they talked about the flat earth. Yes, they did. And they were talking about Christopher Columbus, yes. the history. So, so real quick then, can you touch on what difference does it make to religion, if any? It doesn't really. I mean, it, is there it doesn't. Because whatever the nature of reality the is. But they, yeah, the way they talk about it, you would think that it does, which baffles me. Yes. But whatever the nature of reality is, that's what it is. I, you know, however God made it, that's fine. He, he made it how we made it. But if he said he made it one way and science proves it another way, that's a big problem. So if the earth was round, but the Bible said the earth is flat, that's not good. If the Bible's ambiguous <laughs> about it because the Bible's not a science textbook and it just makes you know vague statements, that's fine. In fact, I think that's the actually the reality. The Bible never describes the shape of the earth in detail. And there's a lot of poetic phrases in the Bible that people try to pull out and say, see that? It's saying the earth is flat or the earth is the center of the universe. Geocentrism is a whole nother one. But no, the Bible is not intending to give us a cosmology. 
It talks about how God created the universe. It doesn't say how. It says God is constant, therefore we expect the universe to be constant, but it doesn't tell us the physical laws. We had to figure out gravity. We had to figure out the speed of light. It's not a science textbook. So that's why it's important. And another reason why it's important is because starting back in the Enlightenment, back in probably the 1700s, people started rejecting um, naive views of the Bible. You know, bad models of Noah's flood, bad ideas of Adam and Eve, bad ideas about the, the shape of the world. But no one believed the earth was flat. I mean, literally, no one throughout the entire Christian era, except a couple of scholars and their unknown and, and modern scholars had to dig really hard to find anyone who even hinted that they didn't think the earth is round. I mean, 800s or 700s, the Venerable Bede, my parents used to go to the Venerable Bede Episcopal Church. So, you know, St. Venerable Bede, his, his Bede was an Anglo-Saxon scholar in the so-called Dark Ages. And he's talking about things that are he, he said this, he said this in, in you know, ancient Anglo-Saxon. He says, the earth is round, not like a shield, like a ball. And then I think it was Thomas Aquinas, a couple hundred years later, he's trying to come up with it. Like, what is the most obvious thing that everyone knows and it's not even debatable? Oh, the earth is a sphere. So he starts off with, here's something no one can debate. And this is centuries before, <laughs> centuries before Columbus. There was an argument in Columbus's day. There sure was. Columbus was wrong. He thought the earth was half the size as it really is. Remember, we talked about Eratosthenes. 200 BC, we knew the size of the earth. Which was a few hundred years before Christopher Columbus, yeah, if, you, if yeah, you're counting. Yeah, but Christopher Columbus had, I think, a document in a different language, and it used a different, like it was like miles versus kilometers today, stadia versus something else, whatever it was, and he, he didn't translate from one unit of measure to the other and therefore he's looking at a number but it was like this many miles not this many kilometers Ah, well that goes back to your pencil point that it takes the accumulation of several different people and their knowledge and christopher columbus couldn't be relied on for all that information all the time that's right that's right but the scholars of the day say christopher you're going to die you're not going to make it to china and they were right. He never would have made it to China in those little ships with the amount of food and whatever that he carried. They would have died. But they got halfway across the ocean and ran to North America. He thought he was in China. He thought he was vindicated that his size of the earth was true. And the other guys are wrong. But he didn't go nearly as far as he thought. <laughs> so America's, you know, one of our first novelists, uh, Washington Irving, very famous early 1800s. He writes a book about Columbus and he puts in his book, a book that almost everyone in America read 200 years ago, an argument between Columbus and the church. And the church people were saying the earth is flat. And Columbus was saying, no, the earth is round. Oh, that's the reason that that got around? That, that was the primary thing um, that, that made it popular. But Washington Irving was an anti-Christian. He wanted to make Christians look like idiots. And it was convenient for him in America to do it in a Catholic setting because most Americans weren't Catholic because at least the Protestants could laugh at all those silly Catholics. I can't believe they did that. Man, we don't have a Pope anymore. Good thing. But really, he was trying to discredit Christianity. Well, this leads into one of my other questions, which was, what difference does it make to history, if any? And you you explained that it doesn't make a huge difference to Christianity or other religions it's not like a central tenet to making sense of any of our beliefs, which people act like it is, but I, I just fail to see that there's any excuse for that. But it also doesn't seem to make any relevant difference to history other than that it kind of stilted our scientific progression and our innovations and our discoveries. But, but in did the, it? the well, did, how, wait, that, wait, as well, a whole, hold on, hold on. how could it stifle our scientific innovations if no one believed it? <laughs> Yeah, it's true. It was an invention. So, it it was never true. Yeah, we always yeah, knew the point. Earth as a globe. It's true in the Western tradition. I can't say that there's not some you know Central Asian power that thought the Earth was flat, but I I know there's a, a Babylonian scholar who figured out how to measure the circumference of the Earth based on the shadow of a giant cliff. And I've also heard people say, oh, yeah, some of the, the Mesopotamian religions, they taught the earth was flat. And yet at the same time, I know there's a Babylonian who knew it was round. So I don't know 
what religion taught the earth is flat. This whole dome thing over a flat earth? No. You know, people, that, that, that picture of the traveler and he's sticking his head through, the, through the, uh, the solid dome and looking at stars on the outside, that's fake. That was, that was a picture someone drew in the 1800s. No one ever believed that. Now, people did believe <laughs> there was a solid dome around the entire global earth. That's the Greek pagan Ptolemaic model of the universe where the earth is a center and the heavens were a solid sphere around the, so, the spherical earth. That's true. In fact, most Christians believe that until the Middle Ages when we used math and astronomical observations to say this can't be true. And most all of those observations came through the Catholic Church. All the background behind realizing the earth moves around the sun instead of vice versa actually was done in cathedrals and monks and cardinals. And then the Protestant Reformation happened, and in the midst of the Protestant Reformation is where things were really started to move really quickly. So you had people like Tycho Brahe, who I think was a Catholic, and then you had um, uh, people after him who I think were Protestants. And so there's arguing in there, blah, 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 blah. But the data just fell in everyone's lap, and they said, obviously, all the math is telling us that the Earth goes around the sun. And today we don't even say that. The Earth doesn't go around the sun. The sun, true. the sun isn't the center of anything. <laughs> the earth moves. The it, sun it sure moves. seems like it is. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Until you realize that Jupiter yeah. moves the sun. Jupiter's so large that the sun actually moves towards Jupiter as Jupiter is orbiting the sun. The sun doesn't stay in one place in the middle of the solar system. Yeah. People didn't think of that. No. Okay. Well, then real quick, then if you could say in a nutshell, what difference does it make to the sciences, if any? Whether or not the Earth is flat, whether or well, not we've believed it's flat, you know? I, I think it has, that's what I was trying to get at when I said it seems like it has hung some people up, if uh, not in huge ways, dramatic ways. Uh, do you not see it really affecting anything besides online internet arguments and conspiracies? It's, it's completely... Maybe I'm missing. No, well, yeah. if we're talking about, excuse me, if we're talking about geocentrism, then we can have a historical discussion on how it influenced people's thinking, whether or not it held back science and things like that. But if we're talking about a flat earth, it could not hold back science because it wasn't there. It's just no one ever believed it. Because it's so obviously not true. I mean, ancient man had enough information to understand the shape of the earth. It's so obvious. But you have to get beyond yourself. You can't stand in one place and show the earth is round. You either have to trust somebody else or you have to move to somewhere else to take another observation. You take multiple observations and, and pool your data and say, oh, the only way to explain this is if the earth is curved. But if you're standing in one place, you as an individual cannot know the shape of the earth. Yeah. We do gauge a, a bunch of circumstantial evidence. Like if you stand long enough, you see the sun seeming to cross over the, you know, the sky and go down into the horizon. Yep. Maybe. Um, the, the movement of shadows. Yep, absolutely. And then if you're stargazing at night, you will notice that all of the star patterns go and ebb and flow in a very specific sort of way. Yes, and the North Star does Day in and day out, and, season in. And the yeah. stars around the North Star get into bigger and bigger circles. It and then take, you're dealing with totally different star systems depending on whether in the southern hemisphere or yes. the northern hemisphere. But something really interesting that you can notice if you pay really careful attention the stars make circles around the North Star until you get to the uh, equatorial axis of the Earth. And as you start looking more and more south, the stars don't curve around the North Star. They curve around a point in the south. And once you realize that, oh. So if you look at like the stars going around a circle around the North Star, you might say, oh, see, the Earth is flat, and the stars are just on a flat disk and they're spinning above the Earth. But once you get past the celestial equator, the stars beyond that should also be spinning about the North Star, but they don't. They curve the other way, and the further south you look, the more they curve. And the only explanation for that is that we're on a sphere that's spinning, and the stars are around us. Oh, wow, man. That's cool. But, she, but it's, it's like, at first glance, if you don't think through the issue, you can get stuck in a false position. 
And that is a very well, dangerous thing note, for science. Even if you go beyond the basics, I remember there was a video I came across on YouTube in the past few months. I only watched it because I thought it was a curious thing to do. The guy was making the premise that there is a lake somewhere here in North America that if you set up a, a, a line of sight from the edge of the water on one side of the lake and you're able to zoom in and yep. see the the curvature of the lake over to the other side, then you would know that there is curvature to the lake. Therefore, at that distance, it matches what we are told the curvature of the earth is. But the flat earthers were saying no, that the curvature couldn't see be seen. That. Yeah, they say you can mm, see yeah. over the supposed horizon. If you can see over the horizon, then there is no horizon. The earth really is flat. And that's the... See, that's the thing is, I, I, I think that that's where they... They're kind of silly because no. they're coming up with these. Uh, no, 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 phenomena. no, no. They're coming up with things that are difficult to disprove. Okay. But they're the sort of thing that, you know, we at CMI, we sit around in the lunchroom and we make all these weird jokes and conversations about theology and science and crazy things that no one ever believes. And we're like, ah, that's so funny. Ah, because it's just weird. Well, or, or something like um, in graduate school, a bunch of physicists. Physics graduate students, they sit around the, the table at McDonald's and they start coming up with these wacky ideas. Oh, yeah, I can prove the earth is flat. And they throw something to a friend. And the friend's like, uh, 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 oh, no, no, that's not true because of this. And they go back and forth like that. Well, the flat earthers trap people by pointing out a very simple thing. There are a lot of places in the world where you can see things that you shouldn't be able to see if the earth is curved. This is true. You can see Chicago from the other side of the lake. Chicago should be way on the other side of the curve of the earth. You should not be able to see it in line of sight. You would have to look through the earth to see Chicago. But multiple days, you stand on a shore lake. Hey, I see the skyline of Chicago. And so you have to take a step back and say, wait a second. Let's apply all the science we know. Let's apply the physics of optics. And now all of a sudden we realize this only happens in the springtime. When the water is cold and the air is warm. Oh. <laughs> light. You, you've seen, um, they're called Schlieren patterns. One of my favorite, favorite words, Schlieren patterns. Heat coming off a fireplace and everything above the fireplace ripples. Or heat coming off a road. Yeah. Well, right. the, the reason that ripples is because light has different speeds depending upon the density of the material. Light bends. This is why crystals work. This is why fiber optic cables work. This is why eyeglasses work. When light goes from air to glass, it slows down. Light is slower in more dense materials. Light is slower in cold air than warm air. And the Schlieren pattern is when you have a mixing of two different temperatures and light going through gets all wobbly because it's changing speed on you and bending and twisting around as it's trying to get through that area. Apply that thought to the earth. If the air at the sea surface is cold and the air above it is warm, the light is going to bend toward the cool surface. It's going to bend around the edge of the earth. It's like a giant fiber optic blanket on the earth. You can see for 100 miles sometimes. If the, earth, if the air is really clear and you get the temperature set up like that, you can see way, way, way beyond what you could theoretically see. If there wasn't That's this optical... Abs um, Alfred Russell Wallace, who thought of Darwinian evolution, and then basically the idea was taken away from him because he was a pauper and Darwin was rich and famous. And in Victorian society, you never left your class. And so only the rich people were allowed to discover anything. And so Alfred Richard Russell Wallace was kind of like politely pushed off to the side. Thank you, Wallace, for this idea. But we're going to have Mr. Darwin write this book now called The Origin of Species, and no one's ever going to talk about you again, okay? Well, after that, he was involved in some of the early Flat Earth debates. And this one guy did this experiment. It's called the Bedford Level Experiment. There's a canal, a flat canal in England. And they set up this thing way far away. And then he went way far away. And he, he looked at it under a telescope, with a telescope and said, I can see that thing. And yet it's supposed to be around the curve of the earth. Therefore, the earth is flat. And Wallace said, not so fast, because his background was in surveying. He said, you haven't accounted for the optical distortion of the air near the surface of the earth. Let me build a tower 10 feet tall. And that object disappeared even though he was higher up in the air. No way. 
Where, <laughs> I did not expect that. <laughs> so you, you have to apply all the science, not just some of the science. You have to apply all the logic, not just some of the logic. And one of the issues that we're having, I mean, come on, vaccines, flat earth, um, all, sorts of, all sorts of conspiracy stuff. It's people select information, package it up in such a way that it seems true. And if you get three or four or five of those things in a row, you don't have time to, oh, hold hold on, whoa, 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 pause. Let me take that first thing you just said, and let me figure out this first thing, and I'll get back to you tomorrow. Most people don't like to think like that. It, it takes too much work. And so a flat earther says five or six or seven different things at you all of a sudden, and you have no idea how to answer it. I did not know how to say what I just said about the Bedford-level experiment, about uh, being able to see Chicago and things like that when I first ran into this stuff. That's the first time I'd ever heard it. I was like, oh, that's really funny. That's cool. Well, the earth is not flat, sure. but uh, uh, how do I, I don't know how to answer that. So I had to research. I had to talk to other people. I had to think through the issues. And all of a sudden, I, I know beyond the shadow of a doubt, that person who says, you can think, see things that are otherwise over the horizon. You are an idiot. But I can't say that because then all of a sudden the conversation shuts down. But to explain to the person why they're not right is laborious. And they're not going to listen because there's another big problem that humans have, and it's called reinforcement syndrome. We like to hear what we already think is true. It's true in politics. It's true in education. It's true in religion. It's true in science. It is very difficult for a human being to entertain an objection. It's the way we're built. That's a good point. No, that's how I feel. <laughs> Growing up, I, I saw the world through my parents' eyes. Then you get out on your own and you start to see the world through your spouse's eyes. And when you're in the workplace and you become a workaholic, you start to see the world through your boss's eyes. And you develop these biases and you start to change your perspective on what you think the earth or the world ought to be. And what do they call this? Um, it is, well, it, it, it's called many things, but it's, uh, there's a good word for it. Of um, Well, it reminds me of what happens with Google, that little by little over time, the search results in the engine yes. give you back exactly Excellent. what your biases that, are. That's a great analogy. Excellent analogy. They're feeding you what you want to hear because you stay around on their website longer. Yeah. And if you got on Facebook and you only rent people with opposite political opinions of you, you'd leave Facebook. You would never go back. So they figure out who you are, what you like, and they give you that information. That's what the algorithms are good at. Yeah. And we love it. And we eat it up. And we spend all this time on these social media platforms or searching on Google or YouTube. You, you open up my YouTube, right? You're going to get yeah. Nerd of the Rings. So all, you know, uh, all the lore of J.R.R. Tolkien. You're going to get science videos, but more than half of the recommendations are World War II historical videos. Such and such a battle. The Germans did this, the, the submarine attack on Japan over here. And cause I watch a lot of those. And it's interesting that some of the things that I like to watch, they don't show me very much of because I think they think that I can only handle one or two subjects. And so they, they actually have restricted down and I don't see a lot of other subjects I also like to, 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 to study or to, to learn about and to read about, to listen to. Wow. They're trying to shape yeah. me. And I mean, do we even realize that? I mean, what do we actually, we as an individual, we don't know anything. We know nothing. I might know that I stubbed my toe this morning. Okay, I could prove that to myself anyway, but you don't know that I stubbed my toe this morning. I actually didn't. But you don't, you wouldn't, if I said that, you would have no way of knowing if that was true or not. You don't know. I don't know that Christopher Columbus really existed. I don't know that mm. Julius Caesar really existed. I don't know that there's a battle called Agincourt. I don't know that just because they find some bones in the ground that that was real. In fact, I know that several examples of people claiming to find bones in the ground, they were lying and it took 50 years to figure it out. There's really nothing we can actually no, very, I mean, very few things. We take this world with a giant dose of trust. We're trusting our senses, we're trusting our memory, and we're trusting other people that tell us the truth. <laughs> <laughs> and it makes us all very uncomfortable when we think about it that way. 
I know we, uh, we're running low on time, so I wanted to get to one question then. All right. Based on everything you know about the flat earth theory, would it, would it make or break ordinary everyday things like tracking the weather yep. and traveling around the world yep. and break the way our technology works? Yep. We would have no internet. See, see, those are the things that I would call evidence enough because you're like, like you're saying, I'm a guy who could not make a pencil on my own, but because I am able to use pencils, I know they work. Yep. And when I look at technology and track the weather and I'm able to travel and I'm able to fly and I'm able to take a cruise, I know the earth cannot be flat. There's a very interesting biblical argument that people have made. They're looking at the circumstantial evidence in the Gospels. Little offhanded, in, incidental little things, little details of things that are in there that allow the Gospels to mutually corroborate themselves. And it's not something you would ever have thought of, and a forger wouldn't have put details like that in there. But they mesh together in the incidentals, which That's gives a very good example. And it gives them a great credence. It makes them much more authoritative and clearly no one, not made up. The people who wrote these things really did see these things. Well, in the way our world works, we go around the world just assuming that the earth is a sphere and everything therefore follows. If the earth wasn't a sphere, we couldn't have, you know, satellites. We couldn't fly to Australia. A plane could never fly from New York to Sydney. There's not enough fuel in any plane in the world to fly that far on a flat earth. But in a global earth, it's not, as, not nearly that far. Etc. 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 All I mean, all these things, all the dominoes just fall, and they keep on falling. The same thing when we talked about um, the greatest theory ever. Remember that was that episode one. That I episode think it was two. <laughs> and we talked about I think it was yeah gravity. Yeah, gravity. Once someone said, oh, once once Newton said, here's all these data. I can explain it by just simply saying that all objects in the universe attract all the other objects, and the strength depends upon their mass and their distance. And after that, everything else from there kept on going and going. And we haven't run out of predictions. We keep on working with the assumption now that this is true and everything keeps on going. If it wasn't true, that system would have fallen apart already. And that's just a parallel to the idea that the Earth is a globe. You don't have to think about it. It just works. And if everything in the world is working that way and we're assuming it's true, and it's, it's true by default. <laughs> Interesting. Well... One of the things I wanted to mention is I expect to hear back from some of our listeners about flat earthism and some people that will not be decided and others that will feel very much, you know, decided. Uh, would you entertain answering any of their questions if we can keep it to a minimum in future episodes so that, you know, if they have an intelligent question that we can answer <laughs> that doesn't get directly, you know, brought up and answered in this episode, can we further this discussion? Because as, as sad as it is, for some people I know, this is a this has become an issue that they they they're in uh, they know people or they are becoming people that are skeptical. Yeah, and so personally, I, I kind of care about them, and I'm I'm a little selfish in asking for your assistance here because I know that you know they they're really wondering about this and they're saying well rob didn't answer this question of course not that has been bothering me and according to this guy i listened to he says this and rob didn't give an answer to that well i do not wish at all to turn this into a flat earth podcast <laughs> and we will not it will be a b podcast i swear to god <laughs> it's gonna oh, be a right. honey b podcast it's next week especially <laughs> next week's the first podcast we have after we have bees Woohoo! how many things will we get when we install those babies i don't know um the, the, the issue, <laughs> and the reason I'm, I'm hesitating here, is because I've already gone through that swamp. I spent a couple of years studying this. I labored and labored and labored and answered questions, answered questions, answered questions, answered questions, and it was always the same question. And the people I was talking to never listened to what I said. And therefore, after a couple of years, I said, okay, I'm done. I'm not going to do this anymore. I've written, I have did a... a, a a video that you probably edited, right? Yes, yes, yeah, you did. Yeah, because we went to the we went to the nature area to film the, the intro to it. A very difficult talk, one of the yep. most difficult ones I've ever done. We have a video. It's on on creation.com. I have 
a very long article on the Flat Earth, a very long follow-up article on the Flat Earth, a very long article on geocentrism, another follow-up article on geocentrism. These things are like 30 pages in Word before they got put online. I've got a long article called How to Think, Not What to Think, another article that I pioneered and Gary Bates and Jonathan Sarfati and I wrote it. Uh, it was called Why CMI Doesn't Do Conspiracy Theory, or Why We Reject Conspiracy Theorizing, I guess. So I have spent an untold amount of time on these issues, and I'm, I don't want to do it anymore. So yeah, we can answer a few, but if we're talking to people, my experience is people don't listen when you're attacking, even if you're, not, if you're trying to do it politely even, something as precious to them as the nature of reality. And it's just the strangest thing. And I've never seen someone reform themselves out of flat earth. I've seen evolutionists become creationists and creationists become evolutionists. I've seen Christians become non-Christians and non-Christians become Christians, but I've never seen a successful recovery from flat earth people thinking. Now, one of the reasons why I kept going for a long time is because I want to prevent other people from falling into the trap. But most people don't come seeking answers until they're already halfway trapped. Ooh, this is it's pernicious. Yeah. It's it's difficult. And my heart breaks for some people specifically that, that went down the rabbit hole. And it's like, once you eat that cheese that says, eat me, and I, you get small, you never get big again. Or, you know, whatever the Alice in Wonderland metaphor I'm, trying, I'm reaching for here. Coming back from the dark side, <laughs> it, 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 it just doesn't happen. What I think happens, though, is disillusionment and yeah. QAnon. And whatever the conspiracy du jour is, people start hopping from one conspiracy to another. I mean, back in the day, it was the black helicopters and Y2K, and you know the government's going to take over the, 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 the country at Y2K, and it was um, uh, crop circles way back when, and then it was uh, chemtrails. Oh yeah, they're trying to keep us off from having children or spraying chemicals in the air. You can see the patterns, and it, it just never ends. And the strangest mm -hmm. thing is that even when conspiracy theories disagree with one another, people can still hold two contradicting conspiracy theories at the same time. And it seems to be a reinforcement thing that it just makes it even that much more conspiratorial, nod, nod, wink, wink. <laughs> it's bizarre. Just totally bizarre. But there you have it. Yeah. We've wanted to talk about this one for a long time, but I know you, you are sick and tired of it. And it's not a very scientific subject because it, it, you can't really apply the scientific method to the entire topic. No. It'd be like, again, a great example of, well, why can't you do it? Well, it's because it's like the number two pencil. Just think about that example. Like it, we would, it would take a lot of different scientific fields, scientific methods, and different sort of tests to accumulatively make one point. But we did I, say... But we, then we people don't believe it. their eyes. Yes, yeah. People don't believe their eyes, Rob, because I've even seen examples where people shot up rockets up into the thinner parts of the atmosphere, and they were able to show, here's planet Earth. And people said, oh, but that could be made up. That video Fish is Fish-eye lenses. Fish-eye lenses. Yes. No. No, and people think you know, not I get, everything can be faked. I get not an airplane fake, and look out the window and the horizon is still flat. Dude, man, you're only five miles up in the air. You're not nearly high enough to see the curvature of the earth. Plus, here's another thing. If you stand on a mountaintop and point at the horizon and turn in a circle with your finger pointed out, your finger will stay on the horizon because the horizon is flat. It's not curved. It's flat. It's horizontal. See, the earth, when you talk about the earth being curved, it's not, yeah. the, the horizon doesn't dip down. If you look at it, it doesn't dip down left and right. It, that's not, it's not curved that way. It comes toward you and bends around behind you. It's still flat. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So even it's, the, hard to put a, it's hard to put a button on this topic. It, it is. You have, to, you have to think of the right experiment. And both parties have to be willing to accept the results without saying, yeah, but. And that's why the, the conversation never goes anywhere. Anyway, it's a good April Fool's topic, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, we're going we're gonna to have an honorable topic for every April Fool's. And I'm glad that this could be our first one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> 
So thank everybody so much for joining us on this quest. And if you found this episode interesting in any way, you can consider sharing it with your friends and family members, maybe the people who are skeptics, maybe those who just find this intriguing. And if you want to dig deeper into the topic, you can find links to anything that Rob and I have put together about the discussion in the show notes on the website. They're available at nightowl.fm slash equinox slash 50. We are a part of a very, very small boutique podcasting network called nightowl.fm. So that's why that's the site, nightowl.fm slash equinox slash 50. The show notes are also with this episode if you subscribe to the show on an app in your phone. And you should also check out Biblical Genetics. That's Rob's other project. Biblical Genetics is also available on Facebook and YouTube, MeWe, and the like. If uh, you want to watch his videos and join in the discussions in the comments. And if you want to find me, I'm at JCS Darnell on Twitter. Or take a listen to our uh, my other podcast, HiFi, which is available at nightowl.fm slash HiFi. Until next time, goodbye, Rob. Goodbye, Joe. You've been listening to Equinox. Why it's so funny. (laughs) It's hard to wrap your mind around this topic, man. It's hard to understand how to to finish it, how to have the have the last word, how to know that you've come to the end of something not this nonsensical. Yeah. And I, I I don't know if you were thinking like that in the process of what you had to say and how you had said it. Oh no, I had so much more I wanted to say, but if I know that I knew that if I broached any other subject, it would be another 20 minutes, half an hour of talking about that new idea. So I put a lid on it and at the end of the conversation, I'm, I'm, it kind of like trailed off because I didn't dare say anymore. There's so much more to talk about, even, even flat earth stuff. I mean, there, there's so many examples that are just plain wrong. Yeah. I mean, literally, there is zero supporting evidence that the earth is flat. <laughs> And yet the flat earth proponents will spend hours talking about evidence. Yeah. And not a single thing they say is true. Wow. Now, maybe, that's, maybe they've gotten a little smarter because as people started contradicting them, they had to change the way they were saying it. And that, that definitely happened. We saw that happen. But in the end, every single data point, every single observation that they make, there, there's a, a valid explanation for it and an easy one. Mm. It's just... You have to think of three or four hundred easy examples, and it's not easy to do, because just because of the mass of it. Wow. Yeah. <laughs>